Hello, welcome to Charity Chat. I'm your host, Samuel Davies. In this episode, we speak with Giles Pegram, CBE, longtime friend and contributor to Charity Chat. And on this occasion, we're talking about the donor experience. Giles is a seasoned fundraising expert who has already spoken to Charity Chat on a couple of occasions. Firstly, about the NSPCC's full stop campaign the most successful fundraising campaign ever, on which Giles worked for many, many years, uh, delivering fantastic results, and uh, also the role of the chief executive in fundraising, which is also fantastic and very, very interesting indeed. Following his work on the Commission on the Donor Experience, Giles now shares his knowledge on what makes a good donor experience and why charities should be embracing this strategy for long-term success for their causes. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a good one. So please sit back and have a listen to Giles Pegram, CBE, speaking to me about the donor experience. So we're recording now. So... I'm here with old friend of the show. I don't know if old friend of the show it makes it sound old, doesn't it? But I'm used to being old okay. now. <laughs> well, so I'm, I'm here with friend of the show, Giles Pagan CB. Giles, thank you again for yes, joining us. So uh, today we're going to be talking about the donor experience. What do we mean by donor experience, first of all? I, I, I mean what it says on the tin, really, which is um, that fundraisers should always be thinking and uh, considering how is the donor feeling and what is the donor thinking um, at the time that you're engaging with them, um, whether face-to-face or writing a letter, um, and also when you're thinking about them holistically, um, what has a donor's experience been up to now, what do you want her experience to be going forward, and how do you change your behaviour either in the one-to-one situation with the donor or in planning for the long term mm. to give her a better experience. Right. And I, I suppose, to me, these now sound like, when it comes to donor experience, it sounds like it's it, it's intrinsic within any kind of engagement, any kind of fundraising that people are doing. It's about understanding what the, what the person you're talking to is looking for. But, but that seems to be kind of intrinsic, but it's, I guess it's not. No, I, it, and, and this, is, this is a problem for us. Um, the term donor-centred was created by Penelope Burke in a book many decades ago. Right. I doubt if any of your um, listeners have read it. Uh, probably most of them haven't even heard of Penelope Burke. And her work was based absolutely on rigorous research and had very clear and specific recommendations. Mm. Um, but now people use the words donor-centred all the time. Sure. And they have as many meanings as there are people that talk about them. Yeah. So the expression has become trite, in my opinion. Then 27 years ago, Ken Burnett wrote Relationship Fundraising. Mm-hmm. And over the coming decades, everyone became a relationship fundraiser. But people weren't actually doing the things that he talked about in his book which was why he and I created the Commission on the Donor Experience. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I think the I think one of the big dangers, one of the successes of the Commission on the Donor Experience, is that the terms donor experience and all support experience are now around all over the place. Nobody ever talked about the support experience before the Commission. Now people have it in their job titles, etc. But I don't think they really know what it means. Right. And, and is it, does this coincide with, in the commercial world, target audience centred marketing, for example? Is that a kind of, is there a it, synergy it, it, there? Oh, that's totally. Um, I think uh, companies are becoming more and more uh, customer centred, customer focused. They're thinking more and more about the experience their customer has. Yeah. But the customers are in a, difficult, a different situation because in a company, as well as giving the customer a good experience, mm. there is a product at the end of it, sure. something, a tangible product or service. Yeah. With a charity, when you give your money, the only thing you get back is the experience. Mm. Um, there is no other product. So therefore, I think the, the support experience is even more significant than the customer experience. And, and the, the thing, kind of this getting back the experience of giving, is it about feelings? Is it about feeling that you have done something good with your donation? Is that the kind of the ultimate? I, I think it's feeling and I think it's thinking. Um, but you said a moment ago that it was kind of embedded in the culture. Something well, I, I, I made that assumption based on, but then I suppose I've been in fundraising for quite a number of years now, and, and this is the things that I've heard. You know. Okay, let, let me give you two examples. Yeah. Um, and one of these was the sort of thing that caused the scandals in 2015. Sure. But you take um, telephone fundraising. Yeah. Now, even now, the uh, standards um, from the fundraising regulator on telephone fundraising say that you shouldn't ask a donor on a telephone call more than three times the yeah. money. Yeah. Now, I think that that's awful um, because there are many situations where if you start a phone call with a donor, mm. um, you thank her, you tell her what her work has done, the impact she's made, etc., etc., you ask her whether she'd like to consider uh, increasing her regular gift, and she writes back saying, well, thank, thank you so much for phoning and telling me what my work has done, but no, I'm afraid at the moment I can't afford to sure. increase my regular gift. I promise you uh, that when I can, I will, uh, but at the moment I can't. Mm. As far as I'm concerned, that should, that, that's the end of the conversation, or at right. least you, know, you, you do some winding up. You don't ask a second time, not mm. after you've had a message like that. Mm. Mm. And the idea that you'd ask a third time, um, and the problem is that some telephone fundraisers, they would ask, even after they've given the message I've described, they'll sure. ask again and again. And eventually the donor will give up and she'll, she'll upgrade the gift mm. because she doesn't want to let her charity down and she feels she's not behaving well. So the telephone fundraiser will put the phone down, terrific, I've got a, a score, I've got a success, yeah. my donor's increased uh, her regular gift. The donor, meanwhile, has had a terrible experience, um, and maybe in two weeks she'll reflect on that experience and cancel her direct yeah. debit. Yeah. But no one will make the link between the, the phone call that gave her the bad experience and the, um, the cancelling of her direct debit. Do it, give us a second example. Um, Somebody who hasn't given to your charity before, yeah. um, she has seen the material that you have produced to try and uh, encourage her to become a supporter, mm -hmm. 
and then finally one day she actually does become a supporter she sends in uh, a donation or sets up a regular gift sure uh, and she will think have I made the right decision um, I could have spent that money on my grandchildren mm. um, I could have given this money to that charity a long time ago what, why am I doing it now yeah so you have the donor in a, sen in a kind of sense of suspended animation. Mm, mm. So in my view, probably the most important communication a charity ever sends to a donor should be the thank you for the first donation. Sure. You should reaffirm their decision to give. You should make them feel as if they made the right decision. Yeah. You should give them a good experience of having given. And yet when I do mystery shopping for my clients, the single most common response to a first gift is a book of raffle tickets oh. and, and you just think you know you're not even thinking about the donor's experience at all um, yeah. so it is way way from being embedded into the way fundraisers behave in the last few years I've looked at uh, donor relationships like I would when I was when I was growing up I was always told by my mum predominantly to write thank you letters for any gifts I had for Christmas and my birthday which became quite a laborious process because you know big family and things like this and uh, and I'd always write thank you letters to them and I suppose becoming a fundraiser I started to think of it in those terms again and I thought well if I wrote a letter to my grandmother thanking her for her £10, you know, that I went on used to buy football stickers or something stupid um, as a child, then how much of a, a clip round the ear I'd get by my mum if I then, in that letter, said, thank you for the gift, Grandma, can I have another £10? You know, so... <laughs> I mean, simple way to look at it, but that's the kind of... You know, that, that's a really good, that's a really good example. Yeah, yeah you, you just wouldn't do it, would you? You wouldn't think of doing yeah, it. Yeah, of course, um, of course. Um, I, I thought you were going to say, these days, people don't send letters to... No, they don't, they don't know. Know. And my mum doesn't force but, me but to you, anymore, you wouldn't should. ask a granny for... <laughs> Uh, would you upgrade your birthday gift? Um, <laughs> would you consider it? It's, it's, it's unimaginable. It is, it is. And I suppose that was, back then, for me, that was taught as manners. And is it, do you think, donor experience has come out because ultimately there's a lack of manners, or there's been proven a lack of manners in, in how we do things? I, I think there are two things. I, I think the lack of manners um, it is right. I, I think giving donors a good experience of supporting your charity is ethically the right thing to do. Um, it is, it's almost more than manners, it, it, it's kind of, it, it's ethically right, it's yeah. good rather than bad. But it's a lot more than that because the fundamental premise of the Commission on the Donor Experience was that if you give a donor a good experience of supporting your charity, um, she will give more, uh, give for longer, and be more likely to give a request. Now, one person has, has challenged me on that and said, where, where is the evidence? Mm. And I've had to, to say, you know, there is no evidence. But I think it's self-evident. You know, a donor who has an experience is going to give more and for longer. It, sure. it just seems self-evident. But if you accept that it's self-evident, then it means that instead of focusing on how you persuade the donor to give more money to the charity, mm. you can actually focus on the donor and what motivates her, what her needs are from the relationship, what she likes about what you send her or communicate with her, 
what she doesn't like about the way you communicate with her. Mm. Because you know that if you concentrate on the donor and focus on the donor and inspire the donor, yeah. you'll make more money and you'll help more beneficiaries. Sure. So that seems to me the mindset change that needs to happen. Mm. That people not, it's not about just putting donors at the center, it's actually putting yourself in the mind of the donor and thinking how do I give that donor a good experience and how do I stop giving them a bad experience? Yeah. For organisations then that prioritise uh, the donor experience over those that don't, what does it look like in those charities? How are they doing it? What, kind of what can those that are listening to this that maybe work for, in a charity that isn't putting a lot of time and effort into this, what can they do? How can things change? The basic thing you, you can do is probably answer two sets of, of questions. The first of the questions is um, when you're writing a letter or face to face with a donor or pitching to a, uh, a corporate um, partner, mm. ask yourself what kind of experience is the supporter having right now? Yeah. What kind of experience do I want her to have? And what therefore do I need to change right now mm. for her to have that experience? Okay. And then the second group of questions would be taking the donor or the relationship or the corporate partnership holistically and say what kind of experience has the supporter had since she joined the charity? Mm -hmm. What kind of experience do we want her to have um, over the next few years? Yeah. And again, what do I need to do right now to make that happen? I think that's very simple, though it did take me a minute or two to say it, but, but you know, there are two sets of three questions. That's what people should be asking. They'll come up with the creative ideas of how to make it happen. And, uh, I mean, going off on a tangent, I, I don't think there's a set of, uh, of things that um, anyone could recommend, because sure. if you spot an example of a really good sport experience, oh, that's, that's a very clever idea, mm. and you do exactly the same idea, and 20 other charities do exactly the same idea, then suddenly donors are going to say, oh, that's just charity. It's a, team. It's a template it's, that everyone's yeah, following. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so people are going to be creative about mm. how they make it real. Yeah. And I think the job of the Sporting Experience Project within the Institute of Fundraising is to try to encourage people at least to have those discussions. Mm. But I'm not under any illusions it's going to take 10 years before it becomes granular within the sector. It's an interesting, you made me think then Giles, of, of something I read recently and I can't remember the source but there were comments at least about how charities need to stop behaving like one another and that there's these kind of regimented this works every charity should try it and we talked about this before we talked about fundraising uh, the origins of fund, fundraising genesis I think we called the episode and about charities actually finding their own um, kind of USP, but also uh, the, yeah, the kind of the, the, the individual bond that they can have with their audience, which might be very different from the charity next door, or the charity even in the same space. And, and talking about donor experience, that's, that's some of the things kind of you reminded me of just then, was that I suppose charities need to be kind of to an extent ignoring what else is going on with other charities and really focusing on how are they doing things and who are the people supporting them and that, that bond that they have with them. That's absolutely right. So um, you start with your charity, you start with those two sets of questions I've, I've posed, you start with thinking about the supported experience. 
you then get onto the topic we talked about last time of, of, of different charities, uh, a local charity, a national charity, a small charity, a large charity, uh, a niche charity, a main street charity. All, each of those, all of those, each of those is different. Um, and therefore, each of them has the opportunity to think about the kind of experience they can give to their supporters. Um, one of my clients at the moment is um, a tiny charity called Police Care UK, which helps uh, police officers who've been seriously injured on duty and the, uh, the uh, families of those who've died. And Police Care UK can give support all kind of experience. So it's like, like spending the night in the back of a police car on duty or what have you. Now this will inspire the supporter to want to be um, a part of seeing the reality that police officers face. But that's that's unique, that's that yeah. charity. Um, at the NSPCC, probably the best experiences we could do would be to take people on a project visit, mm. to visit a building, meet the inspectors working with that building. Nothing like as exciting as Police Care UK. But nevertheless, it grabbed at their heartstrings and yeah. gave them a good experience. Yeah, yeah. So I agree with you 100% that every charity has to consider its own position mm. and the kind of experiences that it can give its supporters. And should, should charities be asking, um, I mean, we've, we've talked about this in other episodes anyway, and I know it's, it's that con constant challenge that I've seen firsthand of the idea of, you, 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 know, you, you know your supporters are out there, you know they're engaged in what you do, you ask them why and what they do, you know, why they support you, and it's very hard sometimes to get an answer back because of maybe how you're doing it or maybe because people are busy and they don't want to fill in a big long survey and things like that. But is that, is that kind of a big part of understanding your donors, do you think? Or are there things you can infer? Or how can a charity begin to start to consider and, and build a picture of what the donors do actually want them to be doing? Well, um, I can answer that at a number of levels. I mean, there are people like Professor Adrian Sargent and um, Donor Voice that are doing work in this area to try and find out um, how to measure support satisfaction um, and other things like that. But I think at another level, I do think it's, it's the mindset <coughs> of the fundraiser. If you take a major donor fundraiser, my guess is at the moment, most major donor fundraisers, in going into a meeting with a major donor, will think, how can I move this relationship on sure. towards getting a major gift? I've been in that position myself. <laughs> okay. So I would then say to them in the context of the donor experience, no, don't do that. Go into the meeting thinking, how can I give the donor the best experience mm. in the next hour? Sure. Because, in brackets, if I do that, that will move the relationship on. Yeah. But you go in with the mindset of giving the donor the good experience, not the mindset of how can I get some money right, out of it. Okay. So it's a mindset shift yeah, more than anything. Yeah. And it's a small twist, isn't it? It's a small tweak in a way, but then it could potentially lead to bigger results for them. It, it'll kind of the, the aim then is to make them feel more in love with the course, one of a better term. Uh, yeah, um, 
Yeah, I'm doing, doing a, a bit illustrated um, yeah. because a lot of fundraisers will say, oh no, but, you know, my, my donors aren't in love with the cause, they're, they're gift from time to time. Sure. And that's right, but that's the nature of, of the relationship. Some donors will love the cause, yeah. some, your cause will one of five or six that they have that they admire or um, feel they're making a difference for. Um, so there are all sorts of motivations. It's almost all mindset. It's about the mindset of the fundraiser in a face-to-face -face situation with a donor. It's the mind of the fundraiser when they're writing a letter to is going out to a million donors. Um, it, it's constantly the mindset of um, of the donor, and it's constantly the fundraiser thinking about that mindset, not thinking about how can I get money out of the prospect. And as you say, it, it's um, it sounds like a tiny tweak. But it, it, it isn't. It's a fundamental change in mindset. And there's another thing you said, which is, which is about you, you thought about measurement, um, uh, what works best. And there's a you know, within charity, within the NSPCC, when I was there, we would constantly test. So you test A and you test B, and A would raise you X money, and would raise you X plus something else. So you'd go with B. But you don't ask yourself what kind of experience is the donor having? Um, so is the donor having a worse experience even though you might be getting a better short-term result? So therefore, the donor experience should be thinking about long-term results um, and lifetime value. And do you, uh, do you know Richard Turner of Solaraid? I don't know if I okay, well, he, he, he has this fundamental belief um, that fundraising isn't just about what donors give, it's about the way donors communicate with their friends and contacts and passing that experience on. Right. So a donor who has a great experience is going to go to the pub or the mosque or the, the dinner party and say, you know, guess what, what I had from such and such charities today, sure. I, I sent off £10 and they sent me this. Wow, wow, great, you know, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So suddenly the brand of the charity is increasing. And they're advocating they you. They, yeah. they become advocates as yeah, well as yeah. donors. Yeah. And you can, you'll never be able to measure that. No. Well, I was having a conversation recently with a colleague of mine, um, charity tech colleague, and we were talking about a situation uh, where you're trying to go to a trust or a company or a uh, an individual you know that really we've talked about this with, with trustees before as well the kind of peer-to-peer -peer relationships work the best and i've seen that time and time again so the advocating mm. you know getting mm. people engaged mm. Making donations, then becoming an advocate, so that can be so valuable, can't it? If they're then out there banging the drum for your cause, your charity. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry, in parentheses, given you said that, the full stop appeal that I was responsible for, that raised £250 million at a time when no other appeal before or since has raised £100 million, pounds, was almost entirely done on peer relationships. Sure. There was a certain amount of mass marketing that raised maybe £50 million. Pounds, um, but the other £200 million was raised through volunteers, setting up groups, setting yeah. up event committees, doing things that encouraged their networks. It wasn't mass marketing at all. It was all peer-to-peer -peer fundraising. I think, as I've said, it's going to take uh, time um, for this to happen. Um, 
people are talking about it now, which is a good thing. Um, people are starting to do it, and you're starting to see examples of good practice. And I just think the momentum will increase, and more and more people will do it and think about it. And hopefully, within my lifetime, there'll be a kind of tipping point where suddenly the charities who aren't doing it will look at the charities who are doing it and say, actually, they're, they're doing better than we are. Yeah. Um, you know, their communications are more interesting, they're more inspiring. You know, why aren't we doing that? And that's when I think you'll, uh, you'll get the mind shift change. Do you think that that tipping point, will that be dictated by the expectations of donors? Do you think that increasingly, if I'm the donor, and then I, you know, Charity A is talking to me in a very donor-centric way and understanding my needs and reading into my behaviour and treating me in that way, and Charity B is coming at me in a uniform, you know, dear donor, please give us money. I'm only going to, I'm going to start giving to Charity A and those like them and ignoring Charity B and those like them. And do you think that could be the tipping point? contribute to it. Absolutely, and I think that that would be the subject of another podcast, but I think you've got two things in parallel here. One is um, what I've been saying for the last um, few minutes, which is give a donor experience and, and she will give more money in the longer term and get her friends and networks to do it. We also know, quite separately from that, that donors increasingly want to, to see the impact of the money they're giving. Um, they don't just want to be seen as uh, ATMs, you know, churning out money. They want to be engaged with the cause, they want to um, know the exact impact of what their money has done. So that is happening as well and in parallel. And the, the, the two come together. Um, you know, part of giving a major donor a good experience will be understanding how involved and engaged they want to be in the cause. Um, you know, if they're a telecoms company, could they provide telecommentary? You know, gifts in kind are important. Um, all these things kind of come together. But the essence is, um, if you give a donor a good experience of supporting your charity, she'll give more, she'll give for longer, she'll give a bequest. Keep that in your mind and uh, uh, everything else will follow. Charles Pegram, thank you for contributing Not to the chat. So a big thank you to Giles Pegram, CBE, for continuing to contribute to Charity Chat with his vast knowledge and experience and expertise. We used the analogy in this show of uh, Christmas card thanking and how you would never include an ask in a thank you letter to your grandmother. I hope none of you ever have. It is very, very rude. How many of charities that you support or work for embrace the idea of putting the supporters' feelings at the heart of its communications. What experience would you expect if you supported an organisation? These are all questions fundraisers should be asking themselves. The donor experience is something that we should all be championing or risk losing the support of those who care most about our causes. To hear more from Giles, check out the episodes on NSPCC's Full Stop campaign, that's episode 29, and the role of Chief Executive in Fundraising. That's episode 56. If you have any questions about the donor experience or any examples of good and bad practice, please do get in touch with us through the website charitychat.org.uk 
or you can also find our streams, our social media streams, on uh, Facebook and Twitter, and please do get in touch with us on our pages there. It's just left for me to thank you, dear listener. You give us a reason for continuing with this. Thank you so much for your increasing feedback and uh, ideas for new shows. If you're listening to this and you've got an idea for a new show or someone you think we should speak to, please do get in touch with us through the website, charitychat.org.uk. It's just left for me to thank our um, corporate sponsors, Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit, Magda Axmith for beautiful website design, at charitychat.org.uk, RR Yard Photography for the lovely pro bono photos we're using on that site as well, and of course, our favourites, Forest of Fools, for playing throughout the show and who are playing us out right now. That's it for me. Thanks ever so much. Speak to you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.